Good morning, y'all. Hey, good morning. Love it. You gonna join us, Sam? No. All right. Get y'all to find your seat. What big girl? You'll find out, won't we? I am. All right. Okay, I have some questions for you guys. Do you know who these people are? Okay, last time they were the Roman Garden Paul. This time, however, we have a deacon and an elder. <laughs> so I was trying to decide which one should be which, so I don't know. And I'm not sure which one I just told you either. Oh, can you keep them straight? Which one's which? <laughs> okay, so today I am uh, preaching on the difference between elders and deacons. Or was it elder and deacon? I can't remember. Elder and deacon, okay. So we're talking about differences between elders and deacons because soon we have nominations coming up. Do you know what nominations are? So your parents will choose the people who will be elders and deacons in our church. And some of y'all can go through communicants class, and pretty soon y'all will get to vote on that too. Isn't that awesome? All right, so, but we're going to talk about what elders and deacons are. Well, was this an elder? Which one was this? That's an elder. Okay, we'll start with the elder then. Okay, so what is an elder? Does anybody know what an elder is? No. No? No. If you're an elder, raise your hand. Currently or past. Okay, so y'all see we got a bunch of folks raising their hand out there. Uh, I'm an elder too. An elder, so I'm a shepherd. I'm I'm a pastor, right? So I'm an elder along with some of these men who, uh, who raise their hand, and our job is to pastor the church. So we meet on a regular basis, and we pray for y'all, and we help guide and lead the church. Uh, God has called us to take care of the church spiritually. Who's the head of this church? Not me. We'd be in trouble. Specifically, Jesus. Specifically, Jesus is the head of this church. All right, so, and he is called elders to help lead the church, all right, but he's also called deacons. You can tell he's, because you can tell that's a deacon, right? Yeah, you can tell? Because he's a superhero. That's right. Deacons are superheroes. Uh, Now, what are, so, do you know what a deacon is? All right, if you're a deacon, pastor, president, raise your hand. We got deacons out there, you see that? Those are men who have served as deacon in our church, and they're in charge of the money, and taking care of people when, when they're having hard times, and also making sure that our church is in good order. Like, so if the roof, uh, you know, if there was like a hole in the roof, the deacons would be in charge of that. Or if there was somebody in our church that needed help with some money, paying a bill, the deacons would be in charge of that too. Now, here's the thing about elders and deacons. God uh, uses elders and deacons to point us to Jesus. See, elders and deacons, that's, that's really our big job, is to point you to Jesus. Listen to what uh, Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to give, excuse me, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus, Jesus that's right. And he came, now he's God, right? But he came to earth not so that we could serve him, he came to serve us. And how did he serve us? By dying on the cross for our sins. That's right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these youngins. Lord, we thank you that Jesus has died on the cross for their sins. I pray that they would come to faith, saving faith at a very early age. They would walk with you all the days of their lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
All right, y'all go sit with your parents, guys. I wonder who these guys will be next time. Well, if you're visiting with us today, we're especially glad of your presence. Uh, We are in the middle of a series on the life of Abraham, uh, but we have officer nominations starting next week. And so every year before officer nominations begin, we talk about uh, how God leads the church, our our form of government as Presbyterians, uh, and um, and the qualifications for officers, for elders and deacons. And so you've joined us on a Sunday, on this, this one Sunday that we do this a year. Next week, Lord willing, we will return to Genesis chapter 12. All right, so uh, we begin next week with the officer nominations, and there will be uh, slips of paper in your bulletin that will run uh, for the entire month uh, through October the 4th. And just as a reminder, in order for a man to be nominated to elder or deacon, he must be nominated twice uh, by a member of the church. So if you're a member of the church, you have the right to nominate any man uh, to be a, an elder or a deacon. Uh, those elders and deacons, those names uh, go before the session for approval, and if that man is new to the office. Uh, there is an officer training class that I'll teach that's five or six weeks on a Sunday afternoon or whenever uh, the schedule permits of those who are nominated. Uh, at the end of that time, there, there is uh, an interview with uh, two elders and myself um, as a commission in which we interview the candidate to make sure that he's qualified to be a member, uh, to be an officer in the church. You know, it's, it is, um, it's one of those things that preaching on the officers, it, you know, it's not one of those seeker-friendly kind of things where, you know, it's, there's not going to be an altar call at the end of this passage, at the end of this message. Uh, but this is one of those things that really is very, very important. For as goes the officers of the church, so goes the church. Uh, it, it may not be the most exciting thing to think through and talk about, but it is perhaps one of the most important things when we think about the peace and purity of the church. And so that's why we do it uh, every year. We are a Presbyterian church. And, and what that means, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible name, isn't it, Presbyterian? What does it even mean, right? When people ask me that, I say it's a fancy word that we love Jesus. Uh, that's not entirely true. That's not exactly what it means. It actually means that we are governed by elders. Uh, Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. Uh, perhaps your background is in maybe the Baptist world, uh, where they have deacons and then the preacher. Uh, at our church, we have two offices. We have deacon and elder, and, and I'm an elder. And that's because we believe that's what Scripture uh, clearly teaches. Um, so the passage we're going to begin with is 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 13. Uh, this is the main passage in Scripture that we have about the qualifications of elders and deacons. Uh, we also see in Acts 6 and Titus 1 that there are some additional qualifications. But, but hear now the word of the Lord. And by the way, when you see overseer here in verse 1, uh, that's the same as an elder. So that's overseers referring to an elder. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So, Father, as we come to this special topic about how you would have us govern your, your church, I pray that you would grant us unction and anointing. And Lord, something that perhaps we've heard many times, I pray that you would impress upon us again um, the weightiness of the matter, the truthfulness of your word, and your love for us in Christ. We pray these sayings in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we talk about elders and deacons, we do have to answer the fundamental question, who is the head of our church? Uh, we've spoken about it with the, with the kids. Um, once I was at the Chinese restaurant and we were telling them about the church and and I told them that I was the pastor, and they said, so does that make you like the president? Are you, are you the president of the church? Uh, and thankfully, I was able to say no. Uh, but, you know, Christians do differ on who is the head of the church. Uh, the, the Roman Catholics would say that it's the Pope. Uh, many of our uh, brothers and sisters who have an Episcopal form of government, perhaps the Methodists and the Episcopalians, would say that a council of bishops, right, is the ultimate authority of the church. But but we would say very clearly with Scripture that Jesus is the head of the church. We have that throughout Scripture, but one very clear place is Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. We read, and He is the head of the body, the church. That's pretty clear. Jesus is the head of the church. And we can say that He is the head of the whole church, the big C, capital C, church of all believers, right? Uh, why? Because he has purchased us by his blood. We belong to him, mind, body, and soul, both in this life and the next. And he is the head of his body, and the body is the church. So he is the head. He is the one who has authority, not only because he is God, not only because he is King of kings and Lord of lords, right? But he has also purchased his people by a very costly price, and that was his blood. And then his resurrection on the third day. But, but also, we should say that he is the head of this church, of this congregation. And, and let me just say that as a young pastor, I find great, phenomenal comfort in that, that I am not the head of this church. And even our elders and our deacons, they are not the head of the church. Jesus, Jesus is the one who is the head of our congregation. And this, by the way, this is not just something that our officers pay lip service to. This will be seen in our meetings of elders and deacons as we are constantly stopping and praying for direction from the head of the church that we might know what to do. That it is not our wisdom, it is not our, our, our might and our intellect, uh, our skills that calls this church to do well, right? That, that, that's not how it works. We are seeking the will of Christ, who is the head of this congregation. On the ground then, though, how does this work? Well, God has, since the first, uh, since 
Paul went and he was founding all these churches. What did he do? He appointed elders in every town where he went. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 6, we see the beginning of the, the diaconate, of the board of deacons. And so God has, uh, Christ has, as head of the church, what does that look like functionally in the local church? Well, He governs through elders and deacons as elders and deacons look to Him for guidance, wisdom, and direction. So let's talk about these two offices. First of all, what is an elder? Well, it is primarily to the elders whom the Lord has uh, granted the spiritual leadership of the church. Uh, there are two different kinds of elders. There's one uh, office, that of elder. There are two kinds of elders. There are uh, ruling elders and teaching elders. Uh, the ruling elders are those who are called from the local congregation uh, who serve at our church on a rotation for, for a three-year term on an alternating uh, basis. Uh, and these ruling elders, God has called to pastor this congregation. Now, I am what's called a teaching elder. Now, teaching elders and ruling elders have the same exact authority. Did you know that? That these ruling elders are on the back of your bulletin, they have the same authority as I do. And I have the same authority as they do. In fact, we could say that our church doesn't have one pastor. We could say that it has seven. Seven pastors or seven shepherds. But as a teaching elder, I've been to seminary, and I've been examined and ordained by what's called the presbytery, which met here this week. And I've been called not only to do those things which the ruling elders do, but also to marry, bury, uh, preach regularly, and administer the sacraments. But it's, it's interesting uh, when we think about the uh, role of elders. What has God called elders to do? Well, the first is simply to shepherd the flock. What does that mean? It means to pastor the flock. That is the call of God to elders. Teaching and ruling elders is to pastor the flock. But the second is to oversee the flock. This word oversee refers to the administrative and organizational tasks of elders. Right? And so elders are tasked with monitoring and encouraging believers and fun the function and ministry of the church. You know, authority in the church is vested in Christ, but he uses local elders uh, to oversee and to run the church. Part of that is actually to guard the flock, to make sure that in the flock, right, that there isn't heresy or something unbiblical uh, or division that is starting to bubble up, right? This is, this is one of God's callings to the elders is to guard the flock and to maintain the peace and purity of the church. One of the main roles of the ruling elder, and as you think about those men whom you would nominate to this role, they must know the Word of God because one of the roles, especially of ruling elders, is to make sure that what I preach is godly. I, I share this illustration every year, but I once said that it's a comfort to me that if I were to preach something heretical, that this would be my last sermon here. And Sean said, Parker, you wouldn't finish that sermon, right? The elders would charge the pulpit. Um, that's good news. That's really good news. But finally, elders are called to be an example to the flock. It is, it is true that as goes the leadership of the church, so goes the church. So elders are called to be an example of godliness and holiness and purity, to be an example in zeal for evangelism and love for the lost. It's a high calling. In fact, as, as we're about to look through these qualifications, you'll notice that, that the Bible spends much more time on the character of elders and deacons than on their competency, 
on their skill set. Right? There are certain skills that deacons and elders need to have, but the only one that's listed in 1 Timothy 3 for elders is that they would be apt to teach. That's the only skill that's mentioned there. The rest of it all has to do with character. And so as we, as we think through who are those men whom you would nominate to elder and deacon, character is the most important thing, is the most important thing. Now, if you find the right, if you find the perfect elder and the perfect deacon, then don't nominate them, right? Run. Uh, because, because there's no one that's perfect, no one that you know, is, is, is holy without sin. It is a high calling, it is a high standard, but we all should, should remember that God, for His own glory, uses fallen sinners like you and me to advance His kingdom. So let's not remove the high calling and the high standard which God presents before us, but, but also know that you will never find the perfect elder and the perfect deacon. Well, what is the first? Uh, I've divided this, as many others have, into several categories to help us think through. We're not going to go through every single qualification. Uh, you will find that on a piece of paper uh, out the back door and, and by the church office with all the biblical qualifications of elders and deacons, if you would like to look at those. But I want to sum up in, in kind of broad categories. The first for an elder is he must be a man above reproach. What does that mean? It just basically means he's a godly individual. And he's not open to any uh, big accusations of sin in his life. Is he a sinner? Yes. But he can't be an unrepentant sin. He can't be running from Jesus. One commentator put it this way, if you were to put a man's face on a billboard and welcome comments about that person, there wouldn't be any major ones. There's actually a church in Birmingham that does this. I share this every year that they take a, a full-page ad out in the Birmingham newspaper, color, with the pictures of their elders, elder, nominee, elder nominees, and said, hey, you know anything bad about these guys? Write us. Wow. <laughs> has to be signed and you know, has, has to be authenticated and all those sorts of things. But it's a, it's a high standard. He must not be a recent convert. Why is that? Well, he needs some experience. But also, you don't need someone who gets an authority as an elder or a deacon who becomes power drunk. That's not good. He must be well thought of by outsiders and respectable in his community. You know, this is, it's a solid question like, hey, what would his fellow employees or employers say about this man? What would his neighbors say? Is he a good neighbor? You know, or is he yelling at him? Is he throwing trash over the, over the side? Second, he must be a man with godly relationships. You know, the vast majority of the work of an elder is relational. Think about that as, as God calls the, the session, that is the group of elders currently serving, to pastor the flock. He must have a proven track record of godly relationships. We see this in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. It says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You know, we might ask uh, if his children are still in the home, are his children believers? Titus 1 bears that out. Um, you know, are his children, if they're still in the home, free of the charge of debauchery? But especially important is a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage is vitally important for a man who's going to be an elder or a deacon. That doesn't mean a perfect marriage. That doesn't mean a marriage without any conflict or any problems. But, but is it a healthy marriage? Is it a godly marriage? 
Because how the husband and wife uh, deal with each other will show how this man's going to act towards the people of God, too, the bride of Christ. He must be a, a man of blameless conduct. In Titus 3, and, excuse me, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, we have seven positive and six negative qualities. We're not going to go into each one of these, but um, it's, a, it's a high standard. Let me mention a few of the positive ones. It must be sober-minded and self-controlled. Have you ever been in a meeting when someone just blows up, explodes, unable even to, to reason together? I've never been in one of those in an elder or deacon's meeting, praise the Lord, but I've been in plenty of others outside the church. Those aren't helpful. Right? And so someone who is sober-minded and self-controlled, showing restraint, he must be a lover of good and upright and just. He must be holy, devout, and disciplined. Is he gentle? You know, as, as, as we come alongside others when we pastor, when we shepherd, being gentle is really important. That, you wouldn't, you, that we would follow the example of Christ and not break a bruised reed, right? Or, or extinguish a flickering flame. There are negative Things, too, that must not define an elder, and many of these a deacon, too. Is he violent, a lover of money, an arrogant man, quick-tempered? But one I think that I'll highlight here, and it goes for the deacons, too, that he's not a drunkard. That's an important thing. Um, but he's not a drunkard. It's okay to drink in moderation. Jesus did. It's a pretty good reason. Um, but he must not be a drunkard. And I would say this, men who are currently serving or who aspire to the office of elder or deacon, this is, in my experience talking to pastors at other churches, this is one of the key ways in which the devil seeks to disqualify you from office, is over-reliance on alcohol. And I encourage you, just watch yourself, right? That, that goes for all of us. Um, finally, he must be a man of faithful witness and ministry. Uh, you know, with an officer of elder or deacon, you want to ideally find someone who's already doing ministry. You don't want to nominate someone that's never involved, thinking, well, if we nominate him, then he'll get involved. You want to find men who are currently involved doing the work as best they can to which they are being called. And here's the one thing that the one character trait, or competency that is noted with elders, and that's that he's apt to teach. This is a big difference between elders and deacons, actually. This is, this is one of the big things that distinguishes an elder and a deacon. An elder needs to be able to teach. Now, deacons can be good teachers, too, but it is a qualification, a requirement for elders to be able to teach. That doesn't mean they have to be able to serve in a seminary, right, or, or even to teach a, a year-long Sunday school class, but someone who can fill in, who can clearly explain the gospel. You know, I've gotten sick on a Sunday morning before. And that's really exciting, isn't it? You know, as a pastor, it's like, this is the one day I can't get sick. Uh, but Jesus decided otherwise several times. Earl's been here before on a Sunday morning in this pulpit, not knowing he had any heads up, right? Others have too. And, and that's the kind of man you need. Or on a Wednesday night, you know, I get sick, and I, I call and say, hey, you got to fill in. Someone apt to teach. The picture we get from Paul is that elders are called to be men of God who have walked with him for many years 
with a proven track record when it comes to character, godliness, and service. Ultimately, they are to mirror the character, godliness, and service of the true shepherd, Jesus. As we think about who is the true shepherd, who is the elder, if we want to use that phrase, the presbyteros, the elder of this church, the, the chief elder, and that is Jesus. In fact, we often pray as a session, Lord, thank you for calling us to be under-shepherds. Christ is the shepherd, and we are his under-shepherds. What about a deacon? What about a deacon? Uh, what is a deacon? Well, let's turn to, to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And, and here we have the beginning of the diaconate. See, the office of elder has been around since the Old Testament. And there were parts of the office of deacon that were around before uh, the New Testament. You had the Levites who served this kind of diaconal role. You also had in the synagogues before um, the church was founded who they had these men who were basically deacons. But you don't have the New Testament office of deacon until Acts chapter 6. And it's in response to a specific need. And it's from uh, verse 1 we read this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they go and they, they select seven men. They lay hands on him on them, and Stephen is the first chairman of the diaconate. And these men, their call is a very high calling because there were these things that were supposed to be happening in the church that weren't. Specifically, as the church grew so quickly, it outgrew its organizational structure, and there were widows who were not getting their daily distribution of food, which was, it wasn't like an appetizer or dessert. This is what they lived on. And it wasn't intentional, it seems. It was just there were so many and so the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, okay, we need a new office, and it's the office of deacon. Now, I say this every time when we come to the office of deacon, and I'll say it again. In fact, I have it highlighted and circled in my notes. Let's be very clear. The office of deacon is not a stepping stone to the office of elder. Uh, it is not elder light. It's not a consolation prize. It is vitally important and without which the church would be in real trouble. Um, there are times in our denomination in which uh, it was seen, and, and I think I, gr I grew up in a church like this, maybe unintentionally, that in order to be a deacon one day or an elder one day, you had to first be a deacon. And if you did well as a deacon, then you got graduated, you got promoted to the office of elder. And that's just not the biblical model. These are two different callings. Now, there are times when that happens. Many of our elders have served as deacons, but it's not a requirement. It's not a consolation prize. It's not any less godly. It's not any less important. It is a different role. It is a very high calling to be called as a deacon. I like to say that if the elders disappeared, it'd probably take a few weeks to notice. If the deacons disappeared, we wouldn't be having church, right? I mean, it's a really important calling. Well, what are, what, are, what are deacons meant to do? What is their calling? Well, first, it is to care for those who are in need, right? To search out uh, for those in our church and our congregation who need help. When people are in distress and poverty and financial need, deacons are called to help meet those needs in a godly and responsible way. It's not just inside the congregation, but also outside the congregation. 
Two, they are to develop the gift of liberality. What does that mean? That's a technical word. It means generosity. They are to bring those needs to us and help us have a desire to fill them. As such, they are to collect and distribute the funds. Right? They're in charge of the budget. You'll notice that two deacons came forward and collected the, the tithes and offerings. They went and counted it because they have the care of the money. And finally, and this is the one that gets spent most of the time in our church because we have a, both a fantastic facility and an old facility, right? And there's, there's a lot of work that's needed to care for this property, and it's to the deacons that, that falls that, um, that role. Okay, so, but to fulfill such weighty tasks, the qualifications of deacons are very high, very high. The first is that he must be a, a man, a dignified man of good repute. Basically, that means that he has a good re- reputation in the community and in the church, right? He can't be double-tongued saying one thing and doing something else. He can't be a drunkard. Here's that drunkenness thing again. Or greedy. You know, since he's dealing with money, there are specific things for money here. That he's not stingy or he, and he doesn't have sticky hands. You know the five-finger discount? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, when you help yourself to something, that's, a, that's an important thing not for a deacon to have. Uh, probably for an elder, too. Um, but they must be men of God. They must be men of God. You know, the thing is, this is a, while the office of deacon deals with more physical matters than that of an elder, that doesn't mean it's not a spiritual office. It is a spiritual office. If it weren't a spiritual office, there are all sorts of logistical companies that we could outsource to. It was just a matter of doing payroll and budgets and taking care of... If that's all it was, then these men wouldn't even have to be Christians. But that's not the case. This is a spiritual office. And and as deacons wade into difficult situations, it's important that they have deep relationship with Jesus. A thriving, daily walk with Him. So they might be filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. They might be able to discern what is good and right and holy, what is the will of God. They have to be full of wisdom, the text tells us. They must hold fast to the mystery of the faith. They may not be called always to teach like elders are, but a lot of them can teach because of their deep walk with Jesus. They must be proven and tested men. Right, this, is, this is a really important thing. You know, the best candidate are those who are already serving the church as best they can. You know, and a lot of times, much of serving is just showing up, isn't it? Much of, of serving is just showing up. You can't serve if you don't show up, and, and that's an important thing to note. Just like elders, does he manage his household and children well? Does he have a, a godly relationship with his wife? Not a perfect one but a godly one. But it's interesting, there's something mentioned here that's not mentioned of elders, although most commentators agree that it also applies to elders. That is that they must, if they're married, they must have godly wives. Chapter 3, verse 11 of second, or excuse me, 1 Timothy, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Well, we have rushed through the qualifications of an elder and deacon. Uh, But it's an important thing to be reminded of every year. You will not find the perfect elder. You will not find the perfect deacon. And and indeed, uh, officers, as we read these these qualifications, aren't you convicted? I know I am. 
Say, man, praise God. Help me, Lord. Help me in this area. Help me in that area. But as you, as you think through whom you'll nominate, it's not a popularity contest, right? God is calling people to the office of elder and deacon. And through prayer, the Holy Spirit helps us discern who those men might be. But we certainly shouldn't finish this sermon without talking about the chief deacon and the chief elder. See, one of the ways that we know that the office of deacon is such a, an important and weighty and awesome responsibility is because the same word is used of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Now, in the Greek, let me, let me tell you what it says. For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon. It's the same word. Deacon is to serve. That's what it means. And to give his life as a ransom for many. As elders and deacons, our primary role is to point you to Jesus, right? to see through us, to see Jesus, Him crucified, to see Him glorified, to see you grow in Him. Because here's what your chief deacon, here's what your chief shepherd did for you. See, none of us deserve salvation. No one is good. No one follows after God. Right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Every single one. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction between one denomination and the next. There's no distinction between one race and the next. There's no distinction between one class and the next. We are all in universal need of the saving knowledge, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And your chief shepherd, how did he show himself to be the shepherd? By purchasing his flock at a very high price, at the price of his blood. We know it worked because our chief shepherd rose from the dead. And one day our chief shepherd, our chief deacon, the one who served us, we who did not deserve to be served, but we who should have served him, he will one day appear again, and this time in glory. And for those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior, we will worship our Savior forever. And I look forward to that day when our chief shepherd appears. Let's pray. And so, Father, we pray for this nominations process. Lord, we pray that you would superintend this process, that you would raise up those men whom you are calling to be elders and deacons. Lord, we also pray for our current and future officers, that, that you would fill them with your Spirit, giving them a deep longing to know you better each and every day. Guard them from temptation. Guard them from the attacks of the devil. And, uh, Lord, bless their families and their children and their grandchildren. We pray, Father, for future officers, for future elders and deacons, that you would be stirring in the hearts and lives of those who don't even know you yet, that you would raise up future officers to lead your church. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.